If you are new to this program, this is Mike McCurry Live. It's a long-form, conversational-style interview podcast. I hope this program, this podcast, is as much of a blessing to you as it is to me. If you have any questions, comments, or critiques, let me know on social media at Mike McCurry or drop a line on my website, MikeMcCurry.com. That's M-I-C-A-H-M-C-C-U-R-R-Y. Now, I hope you enjoy and God bless. Two and one, I believe we are live with Brother John O'Malley. And as I just asked him a second ago, he is John O'Malley the eighth. Um, we'll get into that in just a little while. But if you could for just a moment, sir, if you could just give the folks a howdy and um, of course introduce yourself in hundred words or less if you can. Very well, my name is John O'Malley. I am the general director of Worldwide New Testament Baptist Missions. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a preacher, I'm a missionary. God called me to point people to Jesus, and my whole job is to get people to the mission field, keep them there, and help churches find great missionaries. And that's what I do every single day. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Now, what um, what ministry are you with? New New Testament. I, 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 I cannot World's recall the entire name. name. It's okay. Worldwide New Testament Baptist Missions was started in 1971 by the founder, Bill Wingard. It's a great story. If you have a second, I'll tell you. Absolutely. Pastor Wingard was a young preacher in Newburn, North Carolina, on the east coast of North Carolina. And he went into a barbershop, Mr. Wilbur Hughes's barbershop. It's gone now. But he went in and he sat down waiting for his time for a haircut on a you know, weekend day or whatever. And he gets the magazine Saturday evening post. The guy wrote the article. I, I don't call it to mind at the moment, but the guy wrote the article and was talking about an area of the world called Micronesia and how Micronesia had a pact with the U.S. government, a treaty, and that somewhat were the, the U.S. government, it kind of walked back a little bit from that, and he was exposing that in his article. What's interesting is I later corresponded with this man, and he's unsaved, and uh, gave us permission to reprint the article because it was so foundational or seminal to Worldwide's founding. Dr. Wingard read that and said, you know what? I wonder what's happening spiritually out there. And so the next seven years, he's all over it. I mean, he's writing people, trying to find out what's the gospel witness out there, what's going on. And then to come to find out that in that process, God allows him to go. He thought maybe I'm supposed to go be a missionary there. Came home, realized that's not what God wanted. What God really wanted was for him to help get people to the mission field, to help churches get their missionaries to the field. And with that, what's amazing to me is this passion to just help others. And that's where we are. We're almost 50 years. That was almost 50 years ago. 1971 is when we got started. 64, actually, the year I was born. He was reading the month I was born, even he was reading that article. And now, you know, almost 50 years later, that, not me, I'm not that old, but the mission is. Anyhow, so almost 50 years later, he is, uh, we have a missions family now, well over 100 families and uh, people serving from everything from education to church planting and many points in between. And God has taken that and it became the course of my life and how I got to serve in missions at this capacity. Amen. Now, 
So it would be proper to call you a facilitator of the mission work? Is that kind of a, uh, administrative a, side or, or what would you call it? quite a fancy term. I'm not even sure a lot of people would know what that means, <laughs> including me. But <laughs> yeah, a facilitator, make, facilitator makes stuff happen, right? And mm -hmm. so if that's true, sure, there's that part of it. My, my proper title is general director. Okay. And with that, there's some training side for our missionaries, and there's some preaching side. In fact, I just finished preaching at a church in East Tennessee just uh, 45 minutes ago and came back to where I'm staying and to do this podcast with you. And uh, so there are times that I'm out there preaching, and there are other times I'm in colleges and working with students, trying to help them find the place God wants them to go. Sometimes, you know, I'm a connector. You know, I find one person over here and another person over here and say, you know, there's a need, there's a guy, put them together, just see let God do something great with them. Other times, you know, I, I'm the guy who's maybe handling a problem. Occasionally, you know, when you work with um, folks, you have issues that develop and, and so you got to work through problems. And sometimes I'm doing that. Other times I'm on the field, I'm visiting our missionaries and uh, encouraging them and learning from them. And, you know, sometimes if I go out and I've, I'm out with our missionaries on the field, then I'm able to sit there and say, you know, if we improved our training here, if we did this, we could do better. We could serve churches better. It, Brother Micah, the, the thing to me is Worldwide is never about telling a church what to do. We we see ourselves as servants, right? We, we're here to serve churches. And if we're serving churches, that means the church is in charge and we just help where we're supposed to. And uh, so in a lot of ways, it's just, I wake up in the morning, my job is to move the ball forward on the field for the Great Commission. And that's what I want to do. And, so, you know, it's like a farmer, really, if you think about it. A farmer's a farmer, whether he is planting crops, harvesting crops, or fixing the tractor. Some days in ministry, you're planting crops, some days you're harvesting crops, and some days you got to stop and fix the tractor. And uh, and so ministry is like that. Missions is like that. We're, we probably correspond with more than 4,000, 5,000 independent Baptist churches throughout the U.S. and some internationally. Uh, we have more than 100 families with our missions agency. So there's a lot of administrative type stuff. There's also stuff that has to be done with uh, our, our every week I meet with our deputation missionaries. Every week I meet with our field-based missionaries. We have uh, software that we use and we get all these little Brady Bunch window boxes up. And like you and I, we have two tonight, but then for them, we can have a hundred. And they can all call in from all over the world. We have 104 accountability uh, encouragement meetings every year. So twice a week, we're on with somebody at some time zone around the world. Uh, I think it was this week. Yeah, this week I had a 6 a.m. call to accommodate our plus 12, plus 18 hour people. And uh, so it's part of, part of my responsibility, my calling, is to help get the world another missionary. Amen. Now, you are 
I, I love it brings to mind a um, personal story that a friend of mine just told me today. I was talking to him on the phone, a gentleman named Corbin Butler. You may may know if in the Ohio area, he, he's a rep for a Maslin Baptist. He was, I'm sorry, was a rep for Maslin Baptist College, okay. and now is uh, pastoring a church, I believe, down in the Tampa area, Florida. Um, but he was he was repping Maslin Baptist and was talking to a pastor, and uh, he he the pastor asked him something about what he did or something, and uh, well, I'm sorry, no, the pastor was had, had a lot of different hats that he wore. Um, as the saying goes, and he said something about that. Oh, you wear a lot of hats. And the gentleman almost in, in an irate manner stood up, slammed his fist on the, on the desk in front of him and said, I wear one hat. That hat is the ministry. That's it. Everything falls under that. And, and it was just interesting to me. A lot of times we hold people up on a pedestal that they they're just youth pastors or people that, well, they're youth pastor, bus director, maintenance guy, admin guy, all these things. And we kind of talk about them as if they're different things. And we're all just in the ministry. And yours takes you around the world and talking to all kinds of different people. And But it's just awesome that you get to stay busy. And I love the illustration you use. It's funny for a guy that said he doesn't do sports. All you do is take <laughs> take the ball and just move it down the field. Um, I, I love that. You're just you're on the team, you're filling your role, and that, that's fantastic. Now, you said 104 different um, ministries, families that are that are a part of? As the general director, I should know the exact number oh, at a given moment, but let's say 115, 120, somewhere oh, wow. in there, families fantastic. that are around the world. Um, and they're, I mean, they're in remote places, they're exciting places. Um, I had a, a, a situation today, I'm changing, I'm not talking about about countries but let's just say if you had to pick a hot spot in the world it would be that country and uh had a situation develop where first thing this morning uh we have secure messaging service that we use and if it comes in on that it's a validated secure line and comes to my phone and there was a serious matter i mean where it was uh, like without disclosing any detail just imagine the possibility of a of a couple having one spouse arrested and the other not and um, and just right in the throes of things in a foreign prison and no guilt but n no accusation nothing and in harm's way and you know you wake up to that in the morning and it gets your attention that no matter what else happens today somebody is suffering for the cause of the gospel and then on my way to service tonight the m messaging app went off and said uh crisis averted uh released from prison uh pray and so, you know, this is, we have people in harm's way often, and you just got to take that moment and say, God, what are you doing here? It's so hard when you're dealing with, I got to get this person over to here, and all I can see are all the details. And I was in a meeting this morning with one of our staff, and it was frustrating. We have attorney, we're dealing with a, an African nation, and we're dealing with, this is a separate problem, by the way. And you go through that and you just have to pull back to the 50,000 foot view and say, when I figure this out, the gospel goes forward. I can't get frustrated, throw my hands up in the air, pull my hair out. I, I did that once. It didn't work out well. But, <laughs> but you know, pull, pull your hair out and just say no. And I said to the staff member that I was on, I said, look, this is this is we got to do this for the sake of gospel. And sometimes you can get bogged down in the details and then you get uh, the signal app, the signal messaging app goes off and you're like, OK, what's going on? And because usually I don't get that message unless it's serious. And and this is where we are. We live in 
difficult times where people are constantly under the threat of suspicion and they have challenges that abound. And, and I think sometimes we trivialize prayer and this is kind of a whole tangent here for us, but, but just as you say, long form podcast conversation, et cetera, this is where we can say, well, can I do anything else but pray? But my soul on earth, prayer is the thing that keeps people at bay or at least away from harm. And we ask God and we intercede. And and only a few people knew about this tragedy that was taking place in a, in a foreign land in the last 24 hours. Only a few people knew. But if you're one of those few, you got to pray. You got to get a hold of God and say, God, keep them, protect them. And just think about the importance of when you pastor at your church, or maybe you are the pastor, and maybe your church does something with the missionary prayer letters, post them, send them out, whatever. Pray. Don't forget to pray. And uh, so, you know, for me, in my role at, at, at Worldwide, is just that, is to help keep the, and maybe facilitator is the right word. It's just a weird word that we never really, it's like, do you clean the building? Uh, what do you do if you're the facilitator? But and but to me, it's most important that we say, did I help someone think about the Great Commission today? Did I actively participate in the Great Commission today? And am I helping others see the need? You know, I just finished preaching at a church just down the road from where I am right now. And my whole goal was just to say, let's give our best to God everything. Don't withhold a thing from him. So that's kind of, you know, that's what I do with day-to-day stuff. I travel uh, 280 days a year, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe 40 some odd meetings a year. And all I want to do is help churches accomplish their Great Commission goals. That's all I want to do. So if it fits that, I'm doing it. I'm talking to you tonight because this fits my life purpose. I'm talking to you because, one, I want to point people to Jesus, too. I want to encourage people to be involved in missions. And if your audience is one or a thousand, or if anybody ever watches this, this means that maybe something could be said to get them to pray. Something could be said to get them to give. And if God wants them, go. And that's what we want. Amen. And one of the things I, I notice uh, about you, and not not to butter you up or anything like that, but it seems that you have a very good relationship with so many of the young people in your travels. Um, so many folks that there's inside jokes and things like that 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 are posted or, or pictures and stolen phones and hack things like that. Um, but that just leads me to the thought that. One of the awesome things about, I think, the situation you're in that, that God has put you in is that you are, you know, forget top of the funnel or, you know, bottom. Of, you are like at all points. You're in um, youth groups, t- you know, d- and you are, have been the preacher, I'm sure, when people have been called to missions. You're in colleges um, as people are honing their skills. You're working with the missionaries. I'm sure you even probably work with folks that maybe even come off the field and are transitioning off and things like that. But almost all points of the process. Um, where do you find yourself? Uh, obviously you spend the majority of your, t- well, I say the major- majority of the time you spend a lot of time working with worldwide and, and things like that. But where do you find a lot of the, in- the enjoyment, the little things like the youth groups and the colleges and, and the young people you get to impact? W- what is the, f- the fun of that? Can you talk about that? Oh man, that's, that, that's a great uh, avenue to explore. I believe in our young people. 
I believe that the hope of fundamentalism is secure. I believe that God has managed his churches for millennia and that we are not in dire, desperate despair. I believe that if we invest in our young people, and I'm not talking about taking them to Cedar Point. I'm not talking about taking them to Disney. Uh, I'm talking about where we are training future deacons, Sunday school teachers, and missionaries in our church's education program. Not that we just entertain them, but that somebody sits down with them and believes in them. Sure, I will. Uh, I heard someone assess me on my, my preaching just today. Of saying he always finds a person, and then he works than them. And I do. If you've ever been in a message where it is interactive, I mean, I'm in your face. I'm not letting go. I'm going to wear it out. I'm going to get the point across. Mostly because I want the others in the room listening. I think humor is in, is valid, but there has got to be a sense of reality to you that that kid isn't just being fed uh, platitudes. That's a weird word. Uh, you know, uh, blessings. You know, kind words without without merit. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like niceties. No, I'm I'm talking about you get in that kid's face and you hold them accountable and you say, look, you've got to do something for God. I just left the service. I just finished preaching, doing this very thing, not knowing you're going to ask me this, but just there were five little girls up on the front, mostly preteens. And they heard me the night before, last night, and they heard me and I'm with the kids and I'm in it and I'm engaging them in my preaching. And I'm using them. And and so they sat there intentionally hoping that I would utilize them in the service. And I did. I ended up picking up. I was carrying a a sparkly bunny purse thing, a marshmallow unicorn that clips onto a bag, a bag with glitter on it. I'm carrying it all around. I'm illustrating a point. But that's it. That's what I want to do is I... I'm a visual learner. I want to show people what I see when I teach a point. I want to engage those that are there. I want to rag on the teams as much as I can. And they're eating it up and their parents eat it up. My soul. When I I have parents come out of the first service when I'll do something like that. My kid sits here. His name is this. Get it. And, you know, I mean, when the parents are throwing the kids under the bus, that's awesome. You know, it's it's saying, you know, you're connecting with them. But the sweetest little things are when maybe after service, I guess it was I was preaching in South Carolina on Sunday. And uh, I don't know if his parents will ever watch, but the little fellow's name is Carter. He's 10 years old. And I wish I had a way to show pictures to you of this, but I'll just tell you. 10 years old and drew out my message both graphically and with points and came up and showed me the outline. And I texted his mom later. I said, send me those pictures. I want to keep that. And tonight I had an 11-year-old girl come up and say, here's my notebook. I want to show you my sermon notes that I took tonight when you preached. And, you know, the easiest thing is, hey, I don't talk to kids. I talk to adults. I don't do that. If I'm talking, I'm talking to you. 
and I'm talking to that kid and my world stops for that kid. And I think when we stop our world to speak to young people and show them we believe in them, Micah, if somebody came up to you on the cruddiest day of your life and you're going through all the wacky drama things of teenagers and you just put their, your hand on their shoulder and say, hey kid, I believe in you. I believe that you're gonna make a difference. And you tell them and you genuinely mean it, it means something. So I'm standing there tonight shaking hands with all the adults and, and then this little kid comes over and he grabs my leg and he hugs me. I mean, he's not, he's barely taller than my knee. I haven't seen the kid the whole day. I just started yesterday. So the two days I did, I don't know even know whose he was, but he came over for a hug. You know what that is? That's winning. Mm -hmm. That's, that's saying, I believe in kids. And I believe that if we take the time to invest in them, and show them their value and talk to them. And not just talk, but listen. I think we can capture the generation, the remnant, if you will. Sure, could I talk about the lousy things that are happening and yeah, sure. But why not take the 25 kids, 20, probably 25 uh, teens to juniors in church this evening and just rejoice that they're there and make it real. I involve young people in the service all the time and and encourage them. Don't don't beat them down. Don't see them as individuals like made in the image of God and invest in them like you wish maybe somebody would of you. Amen. Now you have like you said, a 50,000 foot view on um, so many youth groups because you, you kind of come through, but you're, I'm, I'm sure, observant and you get, you get to see a lot of di dynamics and things like that. And, and you mentioned in the kind of pre-conversation that, that you, you don't want to um, uh, call anyone out or anything like that. But looking at the state of a lot of youth groups and things like that and, and just how kids are dealt with it, and you talked about a lot of the positive things, what are one or two takeaways that a youth pastor, um, parent of a, of a teenager, preteen, that you see people just messing up a lot? They're, they're just uh -oh. they're not doing this, the one thing or this, these two things, you could radically change your kid's behavior and life, really. Yeah, Micah, this is the right question. Um, I'll tell a story and then I'll teach the point. How about that? Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in a coffee shop with a mom and dad that I've known their whole adult experience um, before they were married and now married. And they said, hey, if you could help us with the rules of what it would take to raise our kids right. We saw your kid. He seemed to come out, you know, functionally normal. The tiny human experience worked out for him. A experiment worked out for him. And and uh, we've seen him. And, I, you know, what would be the rules that you would have if you could tell us to raise our littles? What could we do? And I said, well, first of all, don't use my son as an example because it's not fair to him. You know, on any given day, he could have a great day. He could have a bad day. Um, you know, the, he doesn't need that pressure. Uh, but he's a great guy. You know him. And uh, but and I'm just uber proud of him in every area. But I said, if I were doing it all again, I would try to do what I did. And I would only have two rules in the house. And if I'm going to tell a youth pastor, if I'm if I if there are youth pastors listening, I'm talking to you tonight. I'm telling you this. If you do two things in your youth group, you'll change history that's yet to be lived out. 
And this is what I told them. I said, number one, instill in them a love for God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't have to worry about what is the hour of cur curfew. You don't have to worry about what do we wear. You don't have to worry about where we go. You don't have to worry about what we do. We don't do certain things because we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't go to that place because we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't worry about a 10 o'clock curfew or 11 o'clock curfew or 9 o'clock curfew. We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It shows up in our walk. I think we've handed generations in our churches to our young people Follow these rules. Carry a King James Bible. Make sure your skirt is this long. Make sure your shorts are this long. Make sure your tops are not this low. We've handed them all of these functional rules that are good. I, I, good night. Build fences. I'm for it. Put them up there. Get them out there. That's good. But tell them that we put those fences up because we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If, if that is fixed, then when we say there's a need in Burundi, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll, I'll go if that's, you know, if that's what he wants. I, I need someone to clean toilets. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Obey your mother. Why? We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Obey your father. We love God. And if we distill down, I'm not opposed to rules. John, our son, had rules. But they have to be based, relationship-based rules. I don't want to disappoint God. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to not just have good church words. I want good home words. I want words that are real. And so I said to this couple, tell your kids to love God with everything. Don't just tell them. Show them what it's like. Show them we go to church. Why? Because we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why do we go out on soul winning business? Not because of any other rule or I get points or whatever. It is, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, no higher authority than Jesus actually came up with this, right? It's the Shema. And then he says, here is your Lord, God is one God. And we love God with everything we have. If I am so consumed with loving God and then teaching the tiny human, exper human experiments that we get in life, and we say to them, okay, what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to teach our kids to love God. We go to church. We read our Bible. We go to certain places and we omit certain places. I listen to certain music. I listen, I go to certain events, and I don't go to other events. The second thing that you have to, the second rule, two-rule house, it's got to be a two-rule youth group. Two-rule house is love others as much as you love yourself. And trust me, this generation and every generation before has always loved themselves. So Christ zeroes in on, yeah, you love yourself, you fed yourself, you bathed yourself, hopefully, you clothed yourself, you do all those things for yourself. Now, go do that for your neighbor. You've got a right to church, did your neighbor? Mm -hmm. You have a Bible, does your neighbor? 
you you saw to it that your kids came to church did you make sure your neighbor's kids came to church you say well i don't like all of my neighbors i it, it does you don't have to it's not about who is my neighbor it is who was a neighbor that's mm-hmm. what the whole purpose of the good samaritan story right who was neighbor who was the one who a, a, a exercised that beautiful demonstration it wasn't like well, you tell me who neighbors, that's the lawyer, right? And Christ said, who was the neighbor? So I think if we could drive home two things, I mean, you know, I've seen churches where they put all the lists of the rules on the wall, and I smile, and I appreciate what they're doing. And I, like I said, I'm all for fences, right? I mm-hmm. want to see the fences up as safe distances. And be real, if a fence is a precept, then God put it up. If a fence is a principle, man put it up, but it's based on a rule of God. But if it's a preference fence, put it up and own it and just say, this is a preference fence. You, you, you do this and you know what? You're protected. Mm-hmm. It's a good protection. Uh, all things are lawful. They're just not all expedient. Right. So if you say, point out the negatives and what do you see lacking? I don't know how much of our church education programs are designed to develop deacons teachers, preachers, Christian laymen, functioning church members with a healthy dose of grace. (laughs) I think we got a lot of other stuff we're doing. But I think if we pulled it all back and said, okay, rule one youth group, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does this activity demonstrate that we do that? And two, loving our neighbor as ourselves. I got a call Sunday uh, call text Sunday night and a guy said hey I'm trying to reach the guy at the rescue mission I can't reach him um, I got this guy I was getting gas on Sunday on the way to church and and uh, here's this guy and his life's a wreck and he needs to get into the rescue mission and and he texted me how do I get him I said oh I've got the guy's cell phone number here it is I'll send it to you and then the guy I think yeah he called up to voicemail he texted me back i can't remember and he said yeah i took him to church with me then i took him to the rescue mission his life's a wreck but he came to church with me and you know what i think a lot of times we forget to love our neighbor as ourselves. we see the homeless guy and think well he's got some racket going on here or whatever um teach our kids to be compassionate and teach our kids to love god with all their heart soul mind and strength then look around and everybody you see love them Here's mm-hmm. a great book. He's not our stripe. I hope it's okay to talk about this book. Go ahead. Um, Bob Goff, he's an attorney down in what, LA, Sinus, uh, maybe Anaheim ish. I can't remember where he lives, but he lives San Diego ish, maybe somewhere in there between. And he wrote a book called Everybody Always. We're not going to go to Bob Goff for our theology, we're not going to go to Bob Goff for ecclesiastical separation, but he wrote a book. It's got about a dozen illustrations in it of how to demonstrate the love of Christ. It's good stuff. Now, if you want to write me and say, oh, man, he didn't use the version and he's got his church theology messed up. I know. I own that at the beginning. But if you're mature enough to read something with a a sense of grace to you, pick that book up. It'll help you figure out loving everybody always. Because at the end of the day, it's what Jesus said to do. It's, it is a clear indication that we're his disciples when we can love one another. It's like you think of how many times things have been elevated from the platforms and 
uh, uh, of our churches, you know, pastors with weird values and ideas and stupid stuff that we promote. What if, what if we just heralded, hey, this guy loves. He loves everybody always. Everybody gets a fair shot at loving. I mean, that's powerful. If we can do that, if we would do that, instead we, you know, elevate the, the, the weird. And it's like, that's not, that's not what I really want. And then, and then the other side is, is that our crowd, the uh, independent Baptist crowd of whom I am unapologetically part, unapologetically, but I can speak of it and say, um, would it be better to own the fact that Christ said to love instead of getting weirded out or nervous when we talk about love? Well, he's got to be a pure compromiser then. If he's talking about love, there's no way to love. And then the weirdest thing, Jesus was for it. Maybe mm-hmm. we should be. Sure. Uh, sure. Now, kind of dovetailing off that, Speaking of everybody all the time, and, and well, I just butchered the name. What's the name of the book? Everybody always. Everybody always. Um, obviously, we, we've been gifted in, in our generation um, so many mediums of communication, so many ways to talk. Obviously, what we're doing right now over the interwebs and all of that. Um, and you are somewhat active on social media and things like that. Um, what are some uh, things that you see, because you see so many churches and so many, you go to churches, I'm sure don't have a website, don't have, uh, they sell black and white tracks and all those different types of things that we, we can, we can laugh, laugh and joke, but um, what are, what are some ways that you found that spreading the gospel via social media and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, vault or, or um, uh, put what we're doing right now on any sort of pedestal because we're doing it via social media. But this is just something that well, I, it, I found it so uh, efficient and, and we've gotten such great results over the past even three months at our church with just some Facebook advertising, things like that. What are some things and not to get away from um, influence young people and things like that, but talking about reaching everyone all the time. What are some, some ways that you've seen people do a really good job, uh, specifically maybe even independent Baptists? I think that if you determine at the beginning what you're trying to do with social media, it's not just to say, oh, man, we got this Twitter account. I have no idea what it is, but we got one because all the cool kids have one. If that's your uh, agenda on social media, I'd probably just not publicize that until you had a clear strategy. What do you want to do with social media? So let's say a church wants to say we'll have an Instagram presence, a Facebook presence and a Twitter presence. Easy enough. Maybe we live stream our services to YouTube, but let's just narrow on controlled message. Figure out what you want today. Do um, at Worldwide, we have two different social media pages, and what they're for is to just simply say we have our one single strategy is have people pray and think about a missionary today. One goal. That's all we do. That's on Instagram. We'll post a picture, a statement, a saying, a famous quote, and we'll say, okay, put those out there and keep that as a reminder. So four, five, six days a week on Worldwide Social Media page, you will find that. We have a strategy. If we didn't have a strategy, I wouldn't want us doing it. So if a church has a strategy to say, you know, today is uh, Thursday and we pray for moms on Thursday. If your mom click here, 
and let us pray for you. Tell us what's on your mind. Figure out what you want to do. Are you wanting to reach moms, dads? The, the beautiful thing about Facebook, it's also the stalker side of it, but, but the beautiful thing about it is you can say, I want to reach single moms 17 to 34 who like Oprah Winfrey. And you can clone that audience and then target them with whatever message you have for moms. And you're talking about pennies to do. Mm -hmm. There are times we do Facebook advertising for various things, both personally and worldwide. And it pays off. It's just even exposure. Hey, that's the church around the corner. I see their sign. And it's just putting your name out there. Why? Because when they have a crisis in their life, you want them to find you. Mm -hmm. You want to be there. So get number one, get a strategy. Don't do anything with it until then. Number two, don't do politics on your church page. It's too volatile. It's, now, do truth, do morals, but let it fit your strategy. I think all, there are many Christians should be outraged. And that outrage is such an overused phrase. I, I cringe using it. But there are some fundamental things about the sanctity of life that are going on right now that ought to disturb our very fiber. But what should we be doing as believers? Well, Number one, we should be standing for truth. We believe in the sanctity of life. Number two, we convey that message and we offer hope. Hope for moms who've had abortions. Hope for moms who are raising kids by themselves. Hopes for dads who've made a mess of their lives and trying to figure out their way. But if, if your church has a strategy and you're delivering a message of hope, learn to target those specific, uh, I don't want to sound all marketing speak, but target those demographics that you really have a skill set to help. Maybe you offering you offer some sort of mom's morning out kind of program. There's lots of them. Maybe you have that program. Maybe you have a program where uh, you borrow a dad to help with a kid, right? So you get one of the deacons at the church. You got a single mom with a boy and you, you say, hey, you know, uh, dad for a day kind of thing. And you take the kid out and you teach them character and values, but use that, promote that, uh, uh, draw people to Christ. If I lift up Christ, he guaranteed, whether it was social media or not, it didn't matter the venue. If I lift him up, he'll draw. So we lift up Christ. We lift up Christ with a positive message. We offer hope. We offer a home. I don't want to sound sermonic if I come up with a third each accidentally. It's only <laughs> unintentional. We offer them a hereafter. But, uh, but, the but really, it's just to say, let's get a positive message out there. There's enough junk in the world that when they see, you know, Acme Baptist Church. Now, that's a Bugs Bunny reference, and you all should enjoy that. But, but if they see Acme Baptist Church, then they'll say, no, that's the place. Hope. Every time I see them, there's hope on the sign. There's hope when I meet those members there. And we offer them Christ, who is the answer to their human need. So using social media, get a strategy. Number two, be positive. I guess the third thing would be, is be consistent. That you posted six times one month last year. And then you have this guilt conscience arise and say, oh, yeah, we never did anything with that. Let's do six more times this year. Just there's too many great apps out there. I, I personally, I use a social media manager. I hired somebody who just, I create content. They, they create content sometimes from what I've written or said. And then from there, 
promote it and on a regular schedule. So if you're looking at, you know, johnomalley.me on the web, or if you're at omalleybooks.com, or if you're, you know, any of those within Facebook, hear the word, read the word, see the word programs that I have through O'Malley Books, any of those, man, just be consistent. And after a year or two, you'll get some footing and, uh, you know, the big the big thing, too, is getting enough likes. Mm-hmm. You know, Facebook doesn't really want to talk to you until you have 100 people who've liked your page. Mm-hmm. Get that through that threshold. We just did this tonight. We have a young missionary family just starting their, their de- deputation. I just approved the content before I came on the air with you of how we'll promote their Facebook page in the next couple of days and maybe tomorrow or the next day. But we'll do that. Just So just be consistent. Strategy, hope. And consistency. Awesome. And, and I, I'm throwing a, just a small bit of editorial in here because it applies to what, what I'm doing. As of, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, I was a ghost on social media. I hardly ever post. Um, and I've been mulling over this idea of whatever I'm calling this Mike McCurry Live or whatever it is. But um, I've been mulling over for a long time. But to your point, I couldn't bring myself to post because I knew I couldn't figure out my purpose. Why? And I'm talking about my personal, I run the churches mm-hmm. and a couple of the ministries, but for me personally, I couldn't bring myself to t- show people the tacos that I just ate. You know, I, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I, um, I couldn't bring myself to do that. And so the purpose was lacking and, and I've had a few folks ask and they said, you know, you, you should, and that's what I'm doing it right now. But, um, talk about why you're doing what you're doing. And my goal, and first of all, it's because I can talk to people like you, and I've been personally helped in the last 30 minutes. Um, and I know that I know that there have got to be a few other people that I think the, the people are watching right now. Um, there's got to be a few that will be helped. And then I'm taking clips of what we're talking about and clipping them out as more content because I know there are a lot of people that won't watch this entire hour-long segment, and they'll, but they'll watch two minutes about two rules for kids and things like that, sure. um, but all with the purpose. The purpose being to lift up Christ for you to be to do your ministry better, to get inspired by one little thing, to realize my church's Facebook page has no purpose, and so I'm going to do something about it. And that's the reason, and that's why all of a sudden I went from being nothing on social media at all, never, to just probably feel, people feel like I'm spamming them, but for the purpose of if if like you said if there's one person watching they get something if there's one parent what you said about kids i have two little ones those will be things that i implement i was helped by that um and i think a lot of times we we lose focus i I heard someone say there are a lot of people there you call it lack of self-esteem self-confidence things like that but they'll post something on instagram facebook whatever and it only gets three likes and so they'll take it down because they felt like it was a personal indictment on them when they got no no positive feedback from their community. Um, but we've got to, if you have a purpose, it's bigger than that. It doesn't matter. Um, just like if you go knocking on doors and you get 100 doors slammed in your face, that's okay. It's not a personal indictment on you. Um, so I, I love that thought of just having a purpose. Um, now, getting getting into, you said the young missionaries, how many how many young missionary families do you have on deputation right now? 
I think 16 families. 16. Wow. And so you said about 115, and that's in the 115 yeah. total number. So 115 right. on the, on the way right now. Um, what is the, the onboarding process for you? I'm sure there's vetting and things like that, sure. but how does that work for, for people that have no concept of what it looks like to say, to go from I'm called to missions and then ending up on the field. What's that process sure. like? Uh, it's a, that journey is can be short. It can be long, depending on the person. So let's say the guy comes forward tomorrow night in the service where I'm preaching, and he says, "God's called me to you know, uh, Cucamonga, right?" And um, and so he comes forward, and I'm going to say, "Hey, talk to your pastor." Right? A call to serve is a call to prepare. How prepared are you? You know, if, if a guy is called to lay block in the Amazon, well, he may not need a PhD in soul winning, right? He, but he may need to know how to lay block and teach a Sunday school class. And so get training commensurate to your level of activity that God's called you to do. Then with Worldwide, uh, I, you know, this is going to be somewhat generic, but specific to us because I'm the one speaking. But uh, the first thing we'd tell you to do is go to He Called. Dot me. That's a website where it takes you straight to our online application process and start to look at saying, okay, what are they asking me about? And every missionary is going to differ here, Brother Micah, because they're going to say, well, we accept this kind of person or that kind of person. So you'll figure out the criteria that is important and maybe you don't fit that. But that's okay. There is a place you'll fit. If if you go to hecall.me, you fill out that prelim preliminary application, and then I look at it and say, hey, wow, hey, I know the place you need to be, right? Because we have certain guidelines on uh, marriage. We have certain guidelines on theology. We have certain guidelines on uh, the text of the Bible. There are certain things that are, are uh deal breakers for us if, if it's not where we need to be, but we'll help you find a place to serve. You know, I, I want to see you get connected to God's will. So you go to prelim, you get the preliminary filled out. That goes to our office. It goes, gets reviewed by two people, technically three. Then at that, it gets approved or disapproved or reconnected with somebody else. And then you begin probably on average about 40 pages of information that we can vet a missionary. You'll give us banking references and personal references, pastoral references, ac academic references, um, as well as health references. And we then assemble all of that, plus about a 12-page doctrinal statement that you write yourself. And then you turn all of that into our office. It ends up being 40 pages. Sometimes people are just overachievers and they get to 60 pages, uh, rarely less than 40. And we take that and we read every single word on every single page. And if you have 40 pages of personal information about you, your life, your ministry, your calling, and I mean, provided that you didn't send all the personal references to your mother, we should come up with a pretty good idea of who you are. Then the next thing that happens is once that 40 pages or so gets approved, then our office calls your pastor and say, hey, your guy's been in the application process with us. We're excited about this. We want to come to your church. So four, eight guys uh, who are pastors who are on our executive board 
on their own expense and their own effort fly or drive to that church where it is. So let's say uh, someone is called out of your church. And what we do then is we'll call Brother Grimaldi and say, hey, you know, Mike is called to go to Cucamonga, and therefore we want to sit down and talk with Micah and his wife, you men from the church, and our guys will come. We just need a room to meet in, three hours or so, maybe four and we ask you every doctrinal question that you would be asked at an ordination. Because anybody can copy and paste, Brother Micah, of doctrinal statement, but we want to hear you talk about what you believe. And then after that three-hour interview or so, then we dismiss the applicant from the room, and we talk turkey with the pastor and say, hey, what do you think? Is this guy really got what it takes? And then after that, we bring the candidate back in and say, the consensus of the men at this table is this, but we need to send this all to the executive board. So then all of those men get an electronic packet with all the information the men had at the table. They then vote on the guy. And if they get the vote, then they're approved. Most of the time, Brother Micah, if you get from prelim to full application and you get to the interview, it's most likely you're going to make it. But those those 40 pages tell a lot. And, and if someone's honest, and we've had the people be honest, and we were able to not have them go. And if we can save $125,000 on deputation and a broken home, broken marriage, whatever, that's well worth it. I would rather go through the hours of that and vet somebody to know that they're ready. And then after that, it takes a few days to get all the votes in, and then uh, the missionary is approved, and then we then put them into our deputation program. We have a deputation director, Brother Jeremy Lockhart, served for uh, 10 years or so in Brazil and a uh, couple years on deputation, so 12 years of missions experience. And we get you plugged into our deputation group. We have a, a, a weekly accountability meeting. Um, and with all of our guys every Friday, I'll do this tomorrow at 11.15 Eastern. And we ask our guys generally every week, I'll ask them this question. What did you do this week to move your family closer to the mission field? And that's a sticky question. No one wants to say, well, I only made eight calls. No one wants to say, I didn't make any calls. Or, you know, I'll ask them, where are you going to be this Sunday? It's accountability. And that accountability helps. And to be, uh, as well, we have a text message group um, that we have just with our guys, and they can have questions. We put out meetings to them. So we plug you into the deputation program. We also offer an online training school for our missionaries. They come on board with us. There's about 40 hours of education that they'll get, a uh, video series. Then they come in for 16 hours more of one-to-one -one training at the office. And then we turn them loose and they're ready for their deputation and we work with them every single week. Our director of deputation is in touch with our guys uh, every single week, every single guy. That's, that's a lot of work, but we want our people to make it and our people are making it and they're getting their deputation done and they're raising money and doing a great job for Christ. I'm so proud of all our guys. Amen. I love the system. Uh, my dad was in, was in the military and he runs operations for uh, Caterpillar dealerships and things right now. Okay. And so, but some of the metrics he's, he's talked about and, and the streamlining. And I think sometimes when ever someone raises a question, you're running that ministry or church like a business we we are taken aback like that's a horrible thing but 
God's business is good. Bu- I mean, it's good business. There's no reason that it should be slipshod or um, w- w- we blame things on, oh, I, I just got to pray about it. No, no, you, you got to put the work in sometimes. And mm-hmm. that's awesome. Now, I, I won't keep you too much long because we're, we're going to push up against an, an hour here in a little bit. I'm good. Um, I'm, but, I'm good for whatever. So you awesome. go right ahead. Um, and we'll save some stuff for maybe another time at some point in the future. But two questions I want to bring up and we'll get, to the, we'll get to the fun stuff, the meat right now. The Baptist okay. Writers Guild. What is that about? Can you talk about that? Uh, sure. The Guild of Baptist Writers is, you can learn more about it at baptistwriters.com. Uh, whenever I speak it to Siri, she says R-I-D-E-R-S, but it really is W-R-I-T-E-R-S, <laughs> baptistwriters.com. And I, Micah, I wanted to leave the next generation, the voices of this generation, who were independent Baptist and thought and theology and practice, and that they write stuff that wasn't attacking the King James. I've received letters from publishers who say, change your version, we'll print your stuff. Well, I'm an English speaker. I'm very comfortable with the King James. It's what I believe is right. And I, you know, I'm not going to beat anybody over the head, but I, but I know where I am. I'm not fighting the battle. I already decided. And so I said, why can't we have a guild, which is like the coolest name ever of anything. I'm not even quite sure what it means, but we have a guild of writers who are of the same thought and that we put out their work twice a week on uh, the Baptist writers page on Facebook, or it can be emailed to you, but we promote writing of young writers and mature writers, men in ministry, mom bloggers, everybody. If you are of same faith and order, you you have to apply. I ha- I review it personally. You have to agree to certain guidelines because we're not gonna we're not gonna let the Baptist writers be used to uh, beat anybody. We're not going to do that. That's not who we are. We want we want to find it. So if you go to baptistwriters.com, you'll find what the criteria is, and you can follow that. And we publish your stuff. We'll even help you publish a book. We provide our writers resources that they can do the self-publishing thing and get their books on Amazon. We've helped writers do that. We are helping writers do that. We've got people who have pledged their uh, skills to help just the guilds writers, and uh, we provide you d- connection with those as well. But that's what it's about. I want to encourage writing. I have a little. I have a niece. Uh, she's thirteen, and uh, she wanted a journal for Christmas. And for me, as someone who wants to encourage writing, I thought that's it. I'm going to get her. And so, you know, Skyler the Bible. Uh, the Bible company, evangelicalbible.com, you can go and see their stuff. But they have a leather journal that matches their leather Bibles. And I ordered one for her and told her, I said, write and keep on writing. Even if it's not good writing, just keep writing. Why? Because we need more writers. Every generation needs to leave a solid theological voice. I believe in that. That's why I started it. Amen. Now, get we're going really far afield here with the food of the day. What Come what is now. that all about? Because oh. I'm I'm feeling a rumbly in my tumbly right now, uh, and so we want to shut this thing down because I'm hungry. But we've got sure. to talk about this for a little while. Sure, Micah. Facebook was started in 2007. I think I got 
an account right then. I was like, oh, wow, this is weird. I don't know what it is, but I always want to be in the space someone might be mm-hmm. that they can reach me. And then I saw this whole Facebook thing, and, and we're talking about 10 years ago now or more, 11 years ago. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a nightmare. I can't sustain anything here. You know, in the sense of, uh, you know, you talked about post a picture of your taco. Now, if the taco is good, and um, what what uh, Maria Elena's, that was from near where you went to school in Alviso. Those were legit tacos there. Hmm. We could post pictures of those. That's true. But, uh, but so I said, what could I post that would be positive, that would let me exist in the space, and not be so depressing, you know, or drama filled. I I wonder sometimes were people always this challenged in a filter, you know, where they had no filter at all. And yet when their fingers touch the keyboard, all filters go off and they say stuff you would never say. You would never say some of the stuff in front of your mother. You would never say that to the people you're saying to if you were face to face. And I said, I'm not that guy. I'm a grace guy. So what am I going to do? What's what's not controversial? Well, except for when you get to peanut butter and then people get a little weird. But I said food of the day. And so I started aggregating all of these different calendars. And then I decided, you know what? I'm doing this. I ought to be the self-appointed chairman of the food of the day committee. And so I have my own Facebook page now and Facebook had me change how we post. So it's kind of gotten a little weird on how it is, but you just have to go to the Facebook page for the national food of the day committee. And once you go there, you can like it, click see first, that way you see it. I have people who love this. And uh, I mean, you know how you can track your followers, mm-hmm. uh, well over 500 people follow it. I don't know how many more like the page as well, but it's it's a way to exist space that everybody is a billion people now and not be dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it goes back to purpose. Like you said, we're, we're getting to a place where I've, I've heard it said and and whether we completely believe it, that might not matter. But the virtual world in so many people's minds is replacing the real world. The real world doesn't even exist to, to some people these days um, in, in just the way they interact. But the virtual world has replaced that. And the, the realization I've had is we're not putting that genie back in the bottle. So we can either bemoan it and we can uh, um, talk, about, talk about the ills of our society and the amount of time and, that people invest in social media, or we can just go reach them exactly where they're at. Uh, Jesus went to the synagogues because that's where the people were at. Um, and obviously they were holy centers and things, but at, at still um, reach them, reach them highways and hedges. And now, right now, that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all of the above. Um, and so I, I, I love that. And I think so often we are only constrained by our imagination. You had an idea, you ran with it. And one of the awesome things about the virtual world is if you fail, like you said, Facebook advertising is so insanely cheap right now, at least, that even if you have a horrible ad, you only spent five bucks figuring that out. If you try to run a TV ad, you're talking five, 10, 15, depending on how you can go ex- expensive as you want, run run for the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, I, I think people just need to use their imagination sometimes, but I appreciate that. 
Now, any final word, anything that you just need to get off your chest to all the people? I, I will tell you this. She might be watching right now. Um, she better go to sleep because she has school tomorrow. But Miss Alicia, as soon as I mentioned that I'd be oh, interviewing you, she, yeah. she, she said, he's, one of my, he's my favorite preacher. And so oh. she's watching. I think maybe Brother Lovett might be watching some other folks. Oh, but but dear, regardless dear of them, friends. yeah. Um, any, any final words you need to get off your chest before we cut this thing off? Yeah, Micah, keep doing what you're doing. Let me cheer Amen. you on. Amen. Find voices, find men who will speak to you and keep speaking with them and make those men approachable to your tribe, right? There are people who are going to listen to you. So let me cheer you on to love God, to love everybody. Always be gracious. Don't let your platform become a place of abuse for others and invest in people. My soul, I think about the potential that you have and how God has gifted you for this moment and this time. And get off my chest. I'm just cheering you on. Keep it up. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time. I mean, like you oh. said, you, you preached, you drove 35, 40 minutes to, to get to the uh, missions department there and jumping on here at, at uh, almost 11 o'clock now. And I, I greatly appreciate in just taking the time, like you, like you said, that personal touch. And that, that's, that's my takeaway. That's my big takeaways is just taking that time, no matter how big, how small anyone. Um, absolutely. So I think we'll save the fact that you are John O'Malley the eighth. We'll have that discussion next time. This is um, far more fun. Tell yeah. me your two kids' names, and I'll pray for them before I go to bed. Tonight. I appreciate Emmy E M M Y is uh, she's 19 months, and then Lucy is a month old. And so, oh. yes, sir. So exciting we're, we're, times! Wow. Well, yes. I'll pray for Emmy and Lucy tonight. I appreciate it. So if you'll stick around for just a moment, I'm going to sure. cut off this live stream. I appreciate everyone that has jumped on with us. If you yeah, would, thanks, if you take, everybody. Uh, yes, if you would take it, take a moment to like it, share it, um, subscribe, do things like that, because there is somebody out, out there. If you think that, that just that, those thoughts about your kids, you know, the two rules, somebody's going to be helped by that. And so if you would, that would be Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. God bless and tune in for the next episode, number six, with evangelist Calvin Allen.